It's a death sentence for this week. Uh, it's a second show of the week because just felt like going on this like big podcast and bender. Um, our uh, our depression has briefly waned, and so we've decided to be productive. Yeah, we've gone to the other side. We've gone into the manic phase now, so we're going to do eight podcasts this week. <laughs> then spend all our money, and uh, yeah, just then go back into doing like one a month. So I've good. been buying thousands of lanyards uh, wholesale online, just wasting all my money buying thousands and thousands of lanyards. I. I'm I'm probably going to knit them into a giant noose. <laughs> All right. Thank you, 2019. Yeah, 2019 has just been a great year for everyone so far. No one hasn't benefited from 2019. So uh, to teach us how to be good boys, because God knows we need it, uh, we got uh, uh, today's guest is Shauna Potter. She's the singer in War War on War on Women. And she put out a book, or rather a, firstly, a kind of pamphlet, leaflet, small book, and now a full-size book on AK Press. It's called Making Spaces Safer. And it's been getting a lot of, of, been hearing about it a fair bit. So I figure we'll get her on and talk about this this issue. It's got some nice... um, Got some nice blurbs from people. Uh, Dan Ozzy at Noisy, we, we like him. Spencer Ackerman at the Daily Beast. Uh, Sadie, do you pronounce it Dupoy or Dupois from Speedy Ortiz, who is also really cool, and she does a lot of really cool stuff in making Speedy Ortiz uh, shows nice, safer spaces as well. So shout out to her. Um, yes, yeah, so Shauna. Um, how about we start with just learning a little bit about you and, like, uh, how did you start War, war on Women? Um, well, hi. Thank you for having me. Um, no we, uh, well, let's see. So, uh, Brooks, the one of the guitar players in War on Women, he and I were in a band called Avec, um, and we were in that band for a long time, and nobody's heard of it. Nobody <laughs> knows <laughs> that band. Um, we we gave it our best shot. We both really um, love that band, and we're really passionate about it. And kind of kind of got beat down a little bit um, because that band did not really go anywhere. Um, and and not every band does. That's not why. You play music. You don't play music to get famous or be rich. It's not about that. It's um, it's just kind of a weird time for music and a and a weird time for well, we were we were playing really kind of like mathy, weird stuff and uh, other people in bands really liked us, but no one else did. <laughs> it was one of those bands. Um, so that project started just fizzling out. You know, after a while, you just aren't as excited about it and. We just stopped playing shows, and but both Brooks and I, um, out of those band members, we we still wanted to play, and so we thought, well, let's just do something new. Let's do something different than what we've been doing, and we we knew that we wanted to play um, heavier music than than Avec. It was definitely like on the indie rock side, um, 
we wanted to, you know, harken back to definitely his roots of growing up on, you know, early Metallica and stuff. But even like for me, I'm a big fan of Refused and stuff. And um, so we wanted to play heavier stuff. And then uh, kind of around the same time, I was just getting really, really, really pissed off with um, politics and the way that women were being treated under George W. Bush, um, his uh, regime. So we knew that we wanted to talk about political issues, but mostly just talk about feminism, things that matter um, to women, things that are, you know, have a feminist take on important topics. And so it just kind of came together at the same time that it would actually, you know, it's, it's a, it's subject matter that I was certainly really angry about at the time. And the music, um, matched it, the aggressiveness of what, what I was feeling. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've liked the band for a while. Like, and yeah, you definitely get the, the feminism down. Like <laughs> uh, I was listening to, um, had a YouTube comments song earlier today, which is yeah. a very good one. And there's another one about body positivity and it was just like, yeah, it's, it's very good. And just, I, I don't want to hugely concentrate on the band because we're here to talk about the book, but just how would you just like describe your sound? Cause you mentioned Refused, you mentioned early Metallica and yeah, it is kind of like those two had a baby. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, I would say, it's hard to say, like in 2019, it's hard to pin down a genre, especially when, you know, when you play like hardcore music, people think of hardcore as this like kind of one specific sound. And so not only just the other flavors we're adding to it, but even just my gender or my perspective on things is adding another fla- a flavor to it. My voice being higher than men's voices singing hardcore, you know, like the fact that sometimes I am just straight up singing. Um, and yet it's not, um, you know, I, I think sometimes we also, if, if women play music that is kind of, kind of has an attitude or maybe they're a little angry or, or we're, we're very quick to say like, Oh, it's so punk. Oh, it's so heavy. And even when it's not, because women aren't expected to show any aggression or any anger. And so the scale's just off, right? Mm. So I would say that we are actually a heavy, aggressive band, um, but we are not straight up hardcore. So I guess we have to say it's like post-hardcore. Mm. Yeah. I, I mean, don't I don't know. Yeah, it is definitely not just like straight up I don't know, Converge or Bane or someone. You know, it's... it's Right. Yeah, it's a lot of like... Yeah, early thrashy stuff, but also like kind of heavy metal. Like, yeah, I mean, we're fans of music, you know. Yeah. Like, we, I, we don't all, no, no one in the band listens to only one kind of music, and we all listen to different music from each other. And I, I find that that's really important to prevent a band from being too, you know, getting too stale. Um, I want to be able to put out multiple records with the same band. And not have it be, well, there's another YouTube comments, you know, like it's not, it's not going to be exactly the same, uh, each song. And I think that that might prevent us from being really, really popular because we don't necessarily sound like something you've already heard and you like, 
um, you've heard before and you already know you like. Um, but I also think that it makes it last a little bit longer and people don't get tired of our music as quickly. That's the yeah. hope anyway. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit of the uh, the mindset that Damien Abram from Fucked Up has said about his own band, where they call themselves a hardcore band, but then immediately acknowledge that, like, aside from the early singles and maybe the first record, they don't really sound like a hardcore band. And they're like, <laughs> it's it's a vi- they're thinking very big umbrella that it's like any that you have members that come from that scene, you have influence yeah. of like post hardcore things like that, that it becomes you have to it's like it's like the usage of the word uh the parallel usage of the word like being a prog band in 2019 is a much bigger umbrella than it would have been at some oh, other yeah. point in time that Just it's like, like punk or whatever yeah, yeah i i exactly. think about that a lot actually well not a lot but every now and again especially when we're about to do like a new record or something i'm like should we just tell everyone we're a rock band like would we actually <laughs> get get more people interested in this if we were just a rock band or would that be like, would that be a disservice, you know, like, would we be ostracizing people or not ostracizing, but turning people away from listening to us? Or would that be a welcoming thing? Like, I don't know. It's, it's so weird that now to think what kind of genre your band is, that's could be part of a marketing scheme. I just don't, I just don't think that way. And I don't want to. (laughs) It's, It's one of the worst parts about, um, music as an industry rather than as an art because like we saw yes. a similar switch with um your upcoming tormates and baroness that once once it clicked in people that they were becoming more a rock band and less a metal band their coverage exploded like the amount yes. of acclaim stayed the same they're still a well-beloved band but the people who were willing to write about them just like just quadrupled in size when yes. it's like oh they're a rock band um which is whack. Like it, people should be like, "Oh, is the record good?" That should be the fundamental unit. Of like, do I like the songs? <laughs> but, well, we like categories, don't we? That's very true. Mm-hmm. So yeah, well, so while you're working on this band for however many years, you're also like being a woman in the scene, which, mm-hmm. as I'm led to believe, generally isn't much fun sometimes. And so when did you start thinking about like writing a book and like putting all this information you've got together and like starting working on this stuff? Yeah. I mean, I would say, uh, you know, writing a book, it's not, it's definitely not something that came to me out of the blue. Um, I've, I've been, um, an anti-street harassment activist since 2011. Um, and that's it's, with um, Hollaback? Hollaback, yeah, yeah, which is a worldwide organization. Um, and each chapter is run by, you know, local activists, people that live there and, and care awesome. about their city. And and so I, I founded the Baltimore chapter in 2011. And I, I'm, you know, over the years, I, you know, I was either running it by myself or I would have a few other volunteers um, or I take a step back and let someone else take over. You know, it kind of just depends on how busy the band is. Um, but also if there's anyone else to sort of take up the mantle. Um, if that's even the phrase, <laughs> I don't know. Um, so, so I've just been in this world and, and, and through that activism, I was, I was able to learn so much um, about 
feminism and be on the ground and talking to people and how how being harassed affects them and their daily life and you know finding research and I don't know it's just a, re- a really good way I think to um, sort of come into my own as uh, you know someone that didn't didn't go to college I didn't take a women's studies <laughs> course um, I also didn't grow up with the internet like it is now where anything I wanted to know about feminism, I could have just looked up, you know? So, um, so I, I sort of needed that journey, that, that, that growth and that discovery, um, to figure things out and my place in the world and and how sexism and misogyny fits into it too. And so through that activism, I, me and a couple other volunteers, which I talk about in the book, um, we realized that, Talking to people about what they're going through is really important. It, it is vital that people feel like they're not alone, that they are sharing tough experiences. It makes it easier to get through tough experiences. And we know that just because, you know, there are all kinds of like meetup groups for people that have gone through, you know, cancer or people that love people that have gone through cancer. You know, like when, when something hard goes on in your life, you, you want to make sure that you can talk to someone about it. Um, or at least it's helpful if you do. So talking to people about harassment and what they go through and, and being discriminated against, that was really helpful. But then we realized that that could only go so far. And so what we wanted to do was we ended up deciding that we could train venues and spaces to be supportive of their customers and patrons that are harassed regularly and not just gender-based harassment, you know, just really any marginalized identity based harassment. And so we, we went around and, and then I sort of became the, you know, after a little while people move on, right. We're all volunteering. And then I just became the default safer space person. Like I was the only person left (laughs) in town still doing it, but I loved it. I loved, I love, I loved going around to spaces, conducting workshops, teaching people skills like that, and you could see, like, I love the feeling of, um, you know, you tell someone something about bystander intervention or, or how to do grounding techniques. And and once someone hears it, it seems really obvious, right? It seems like, like oh, I should have thought about myself. And so it clicks into place really easily. And you see how excited they are to, like, use that knowledge. I just think that's a really, really um, rewarding feeling, you know? So... I was doing workshops as often as I could, whenever I could. And again, it's on the side from the band and a full-time job, <laughs> right? And trying to have a life, which I don't. So um, it was after we uh, War and Women played Warp Tour uh, in the summer of 2017. And I was giving a bystander intervention workshop every day, basically. And I was very concerned about losing my voice because it's a two month tour. Uh, I'm yelling for 30 minutes and then I'm also, you know, potentially talking for 30 to 60 minutes. And, um, and you play at a different time every day on warp tour. And the, the human voice is not meant to scream at noon, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not even supposed to be awake at noon. It doesn't work. Yeah. It just doesn't work. So, Sometimes you're playing really early and you're like, well, hope, hope this works, you know. Um, and I don't know, kind of by the end of the tour, I was surprised that my voice was lasting. I was trying to take really good care of it. But I was like, man, I just, 
I'm having these same conversations every single day and I'm stressed out about losing my voice. I should just write all this shit down. And, and then I thought, well, you know, that's not actually that bad of an idea. So I kind of (laughs) molded over. And when we got home from that tour after, after a little while, I was like, well, what, what would I include if I was writing all this stuff down, if I was going to hand someone something that was like, I don't need to talk to you for two hours. Here's this instead. What would it say? And I just started writing. And um, and I got lucky enough. I was able to submit kind of a few drafts to a few publishers. And I got to, I got to choose who I went with. And I chose AK Press. And they've been very supportive. Yeah, I bet. I mean, they're like you know, one of the, the great uh, radical presses. Like really consistently putting out amazing stuff. Yeah. So um, I, I just noticed, actually, one of um, the person who did the cover design and the typesetting is someone we've had on the show. It's, oh, really? Yeah, Margaret Kiljoy was yeah. one oh. of the like, really, really early um, guests. Be- I think before Langdon was on the show. But uh, yeah, she's also a really great author and musician. So, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. That's really great. So I yeah, I really love the cover now. of this book. Um, I, don't, I can't see it because I I, I, the PDF no. only has the, uh, uh, the front page. I am it's... looking at the cover right now. It has this beautiful, uh, like, inscribed circle um, with making spaces safer in the center of it. But it definitely avoided all the sort of cliches of typesetting, especially for nonfiction books. Like, it, it looks like a good book. As opposed to yeah, <laughs> thank you. Y- yeah, That's absolutely. Great. I'm glad oh, you yeah. feel that way too. I it, I really love it. Um, it and I love like order. oh sorry, but there's like this um this lovely circle around the the words making spaces safer, and it just has this like gentle implied rainbow yeah. in it, yeah. and I think that that's really really lovely, and and yeah, and it's not just on the nose and it doesn't look too academic. And, um, and this was the second thing that she showed me. Um, first one just didn't work. And I was like, try one more time. And then, and then it was this and it was basically perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like yeah, it. It, it, all I was going to say is that AK press in general are really, really good with their cover designs. Like they, they make damn sure that if they're, putting out a book that they and the, the author behind it feels is an important book. They don't fuck them over with just some garbage ass cover that yeah. people are going to automatically like judge. Yes. It's um, not cookie cutter. Yeah. And mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, um, there's been a, a lot of writing about sort of the misogynistic cliches in um, cover design and typesetting and things like that for uh, mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. world of books where you can tell when a marketer decided woman author, woman readership, woman cover. And you're like, but there's so many kinds of ways to be a woman. They're like, no, it's only this one. Always this one, no matter what. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I could definitely see like if this went to a big press and they decided this was a uh, hashtag resistance still with her kind of book. I I know (laughs) what the cover would look like and how how pink and purple it would be. So yeah, so yeah, good good job, Margaret, on the on the cover. Yeah, um, good thanks, job Margaret. for you for picking it. Um, yeah, I'll give her a shout out in the in the notes there. So, um, so before we get into the uh, the meat of the book itself, let's do a quick song. Uh, let's do a sure. song song by you. 
Let's let's do a war on, war on women song. How do you say that so much? I can't say war, war on, on women. women. Yeah. <laughs> I, Baby, I live it. That's why. <laughs> no, I, my my tongue feels like it's trying to escape when I when I say the name of your band. But we're gonna do so your 2018 album Capture the Flag, which looks yes. cool, which is really good. Looks cool as hell. Uh, <laughs> the first track on it is called Lone Wolves. Um, I get. I was listening to this on a train, trying to think what it's about. And uh, so am I right in thinking it's about gun culture in the US, but also like, um, I guess, like the kind of wave of right wing terrorism in the US as well? Or did I get it? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Um, Yeah, it's um, there's this thing. I don't know how much uh, about, you know. U.S. news that you <laughs> ingest, but there's this thing that when any person of color commits any kind of crime or has a gun, then they're a terrorist. And mm. when a white man does something similar or worse, well, he's just a he's a lone wolf. He's mm. acting alone. This is totally random, <laughs> you know, uh, kind of thing. Right. Totally discounting the fact that. Um, you know, we have a huge toxic masculinity problem in the U.S. that men who um, abuse their partners uh, often kill them. <laughs> and if there's a gun in the house, their partner's more likely to die, to be murdered. They're more likely to murder them. Um, that violent men should not have guns. Um, um, anyway, even, so, even so this idea that, that like... Oh. Uh, well, there's this idea that like each and every one of them is working alone, except for they're not because they're all um, working and, and fighting and hurting people under this umbrella of toxic masculinity that exists here. Like it can, they're not all isolated incidents. We have to see that there is a pattern and that they are related. So it's just that idea of of, yeah, just simply put, like, the gun problem in the U.S., but specifically how entitled white men feel about their women and how they use guns to um, scare, hurt, and murder people. And mm-hmm. and not just women, because the second verse is um, kind of talking a little bit about the shooting in Orlando at the Pulse nightclub which was lgbtq nightclub um and so it's really you know they're not just mad at women they're really just mad at anyone that isn't like them and that's a huge problem but it normally um, manifests through um their ideas about women and what women should be and you know if if men are acting too much like women they can get that hate too you know yeah there was a recently a really fucked up news story about it was kind of kind of low key, but uh, a woman had been abused by her husband for years. Finally, the police got round to like put in a like an order on him to, you know, just a like, I don't I don't know what the legal term is, but like a stop abusing maybe a restraining or probably or something. yeah something yeah. along those lines. And he had a gun, as they often do. He had like AR fifteen, mm-hmm. so massive military <laughs> assault rifle. He doesn't need. And she uh, took the gun, like, from his house and took it to the police station to hand it in, because you're supposed to do that. But then she was charged with theft of the gun, right. because she had taken the gun 
from her abuser to the police, which is for, like save them time. Right. <laughs> and um Right, because she's worried about being murdered. Yeah. Yeah. And worried that like she'll be murdered while while the police are like getting round to confiscating the guy's gun, yeah. which is their job. So yeah, that was uh I was thinking of that. So uh yeah, this is uh Low Wolves. by Warren Women. I got it right that time. You got it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah, let's, let's... We're still here with Shauna Potter, and uh, that was her voice you heard screaming and singing. And you're a damn good vocalist, too. Like, Yeah. Oh, thank you. Very, very good, like, uh, skills at vocals. So, um, <laughs> let, let's dive into the, to the book itself. So, you cut it down to kind of... Three 
main uh, parts. Uh, well, two and two and the appendices. Uh, so, how do you like? How do you tell this story? How do you like present this information to people? Because, I mean, some people push back at the whole safe spaces idea. It's gone this like bad press from you know. Yeah. Chuds, basically. Chuds, yes, <laughs> exactly. Just awful, awful <laughs> people have made this really obvious term, safe space, into a, a term like, you know, check your privilege, something that you is kind of obvious, but you never say it. Right. So, or, or starts to lose all meaning altogether because yeah. it's used yeah. too much. Yeah. Mm, exactly. Yeah, I mean, so, I think that I... I mean, that's one reason why... I, I wanted to write a full length book about this stuff. I, I did start with a pocket guide, like you mentioned on AK press and it, that's a very good, like easily shareable, borrow it from your friend kind of um, literally fits in your pocket <laughs> uh, guide of like a basic to-do list. How do I make this space safe? Like right now, like what can I do right now? Right. But I knew I needed a full length book to, uh, not, not only go into a lot more detail and share personal stories and all of that, but to share some of the science behind why we need to know this stuff and mm. um, really just make it clear that a safer space is not one that is perfect where nothing bad ever happens. It's not one free of challenging ideas or people that disagree with you. Uh, it really just means that you acknowledge that there are some people in this world that are discriminated against just for being who they are. And they deserve to have a break when they come into your space and you have power to make that happen. And here's a few steps on how to do it. You know, <laughs> like I just, it's just that simple. Um, mm. It's not about banning free speech. It's not about controlling anyone. It really is in a way about providing the same access to free speech to everyone that isn't a white man, right? Like white mm -hmm. men already feel free to speak their mind, to be themselves, to take up space. And I'm not trying to take that away from them. No one's trying to take that away from them. We just want that same kind of feeling um, for everyone else. We want that same kind of freedom for everyone else. And so this, and, you know, and freedom and respect and that stuff, like those are not finite resources. There's enough to go around. Everyone can have some. So it's just, how do we get it so that everyone feels as free to be themselves as white men, you know? So I don't say that right off the bat when I do a workshop though. <laughs> Gotta got ease them in. I might turn them off a little bit. I honestly, when I do workshops and I just did one yesterday, um, to a few coaches at an MMA school, um, nice. where, where, yeah, they have MMA classes, jujitsu, um, and other things that I can't name without butchering it completely. But, um, you know, I, I really, I just started off by saying, we all know harassment happens, right? Like we all know harassment happens. It's bad. It's, it can be racist, sexist, transphobic, ableist, sizist, classist, ageist, um, xenophobic, you know, like there's all kinds of harassment. It happens all the time. And then I just went into explaining a little bit about how um, people carry that with them wherever they go. 
It's cumulative, the damage from harassment and violence. It's not something you shed as soon as that moment or incident is over. It, it, a part of it stays with you. And, and again, yeah. like there is science behind this. This is not me making this up. Um, you know, uh, so, so, uh, you know, just, I like to tell people that they you know because of that, if they can acknowledge that and accept that, um, then they get this great opportunity to provide a space that's a little more freeing, a little more relaxed, a little more joyful than the rest of the world out, outside these doors, you know? And so I think by telling people, make, you know, making it positive, like letting people know they have a lot of power to make a big difference in someone's life, um, it makes it a little easier for them to swallow the little to-do list <laughs> that I give them. Um, yeah. Or just, you know, get ready to learn a few, a few new things, maybe. And yeah, like um, like you say, there are there are to do lists in here. There are spaces to write your own notes. There's you know, it's it's kind of a workbook rather than a polemic. It's it's practical. It's designed for people who are in spaces of any kind to actually implement this stuff rather than think about it purely on theoretical terms. Although the the theory is there if you need it as well. It absolutely is. Like, I I will say, like, I obviously I did not invent bystander intervention. I did not invent grounding techniques or crisis response or, um, you know, things like that. We 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 did at the time invent the the three option response that we talk about in the book. Like if someone says they were harassed, you give them the three options. And we, we came up with those and had our reasons for that based on previous work done by people in the intimate partner violence sphere, right? So um, there is theory out there, there is research out there, and and I think that's great and necessary, obviously. But I, I do believe in diverse tactics. And I think that, you know, after, especially after Me Too broke big, which was kind of happening when I was just starting to write this pocket guide. Um, And just from my experience of doing workshops, like once someone is kind of ready to do the right thing, they often just want you to just tell them what it is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They, it's, it's a little difficult to get them to, well, read these five books and then take a class and, and think about this and have a group discussion. And, you know, um, and while maybe that, like laying that groundwork is, is important, but what if I could just give them something that makes them feel like they're doing something, they're doing something productive. Okay. I did this. I put up the sign. I put up this sign over here and then I did this on the, you know, and they can start to get to work. And then that theory will catch up with them. Like Hmm. they're still going to get that reading this book. It's something that I appreciate. Oh, no, 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 go ahead. It's something I appreciated a lot about your book because it's something that, um, like, I, I immediately handed this to my partner after I was done reading and be like, you're going to like this. Um, <laughs> uh, precisely because we we have this issue sometimes, and Gareth and I have talked about it, where the deeper you dive into theory space or even just reading survivor stories, trying to become more informed of the the breadth and nature of the suffering of the people of the world – it can become intensely paralytic. Um, 
where it feels overwhelmingly present and overwhelmingly unsolvable. Mm-hmm. Um, and even when you have these theoretical understandings of the structures that put them in place and how you may have internalized them, how you may propagate them, it can become, it can feel like an ensnaring labyrinth where it's like there don't always feel like there are ways out of this labyrinth of shifting walls where, you know, it's like the moving away from this one negative or toxic action juts you up against this other one. And so, <laughs> yeah. what, which I think we've all run into that kind of feeling before and the vague awareness that it is a learning feeling, but it's still a, a terrifying and uh, for many people, paralytic one. Uh, and so having the, the like stark tangibility of of your book and a lot of the things that you talk about where it's clearly informed by having encountered theory and knowing theory but is deliberately oriented at like we need to clear it it's sort of that um that the the meta safe space of the book itself where it's like you don't need to be terrified of these notions or topics <laughs> you don't need to be terrified of fucking up here's a place that you can start there is more beyond this but this is a a tangible real and effective starting point like it doesn't need to be this murky journey into the sea necessarily it can that's a, that's a really great um idea that i hadn't really thought about that the that that the book is a safer space for <laughs> learning about safer spaces you know, yeah, like, I mean, I, mean, I certainly I certainly set out to write a book that was free of judgment. I didn't want to be mad. I didn't want anyone to feel bad for only just starting to read this book when they pick it up, you know, because one, it yeah. didn't exist until May. <laughs> um, but two, like you're starting the work now, like, OK, cool, let's do it. Let's get into it. Right. But I didn't want to judge people for being late to the party or being right on time for them. And I also didn't want it to be too academic in case like me, they didn't go to college. And so theory, it just isn't going to work for them. Um, And I didn't want to have too much, you know, as a side note, didn't want to have too much modern jargon that would immediately date the book um, as irrelevant. Um, But yeah, I, so, but I was very thoughtful, like, like, I know that feeling of, oh, wow, I'm just learning about this issue. This is a really big deal. Wow, there's so much I don't know. Uh, what do I do? <laughs> and you just kind of need someone to say, hey, welcome. Uh, try these few things. Okay, now read this article. Okay, now do this. You know, um, Because if you don't know and all of a sudden the veil is lifted from over your eyes, like it's overwhelming, all the stuff you could learn. Um, but I also think that, and I've carried this over from when we started our workshops in the first place, um, just having a to-do list without any explanation is not good enough. Uh, and when we trained a venue, like we actually have a training, I do a training. I don't say, cool, sign this thing, sign this pledge, put up a poster, you're good. No, I want them to actually know how to respond appropriately to complaints of harassment and how to proactively prevent it. And so I tell people, all right, this is what you're doing, but here's why it's important, just so you know. Um, And so I'm hoping that it's enough of both, enough of the 
the, the steps that will make someone feel like they're making a difference, like they're being proactive, but also enough of the knowledge and theory to to explain why, to make it easier for them to enact it, to make it easier to explain to others they work with why it might be important, and also to help them get over any potential you know, blind spots if they just don't understand, well, why do, why do I have to do this? This doesn't seem important at all. Like, well, maybe my explanation of who it affects and why and how it can help will be enough to get them over that hump. I do, I do an amount of organizing, both like workplace organizing and just... Um various kinds of local organizing and specifically trying to target spaces where it's not me like marching with a sign, but instead having <laughs> like, direct, but not, not to knock that kind of stuff, but that's, no, no, no. you need a little of bit of that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. I, I figured you would know that I was saying that more for, um, more for potential listeners that like, they wouldn't read it as like, Oh, he thinks things like slut walks <laughs> are bad. Be like, no, no, they're not. That's just not, my Again, best. diverse um, tactics. Exactly. People are diverse. <laughs> and something like your book just immediately struck me as something that um, like I could immediately use in like a workplace uh, organizing thing of like, hey, here's why, you know, you're going to have an amount of Hispanic coworkers. Maybe not all of them are uh, are here legally. You still need to create a safe space for them because through that intimate reaction, you know, their families, you know, their likes and dislikes. You see them as a person and not as some, uh, like the xenophobic archon or icon has dissolved in you, but you still retain it in some aspect. Here's a way to contain that and still operate or like here, here's how to protect, um, uh, trans coworkers or female coworkers and help shoulder some of the burden. Like, that's that's one of the things that I appreciated very immediately. It's having this thing in the back of my head of we run into a lot of texts and a lot of advice that's good advice, but is predicated on the person receiving it already have political inclinations that are similar to our own. Mm-hmm. And that's good and necessary. But if if that was all we needed to stop um, harassment, transphobia, racism, then it would have already been stopped Mm -hmm. because that work has been ongoing. And so the thought of like, you know, I, I need something that I can say to a, like a chuddish right-wing coworker that will still get them to not harass their coworkers, not um, to protect their coworkers if that's necessary from, uh, from other vectors. Yeah. And well, yeah, immediately putting someone on the offensive means that they're not actually going to be listening to you. Yeah. Um, or defensive, sorry. They're going to be defending themselves. They're going to, you know, say, you are harassing people. You're not doing enough for your trans coworkers. They're going to be like, fuck you. Yes, I am. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're not, not going to hear that, like, well, there's this one thing you could be doing better um, because people need this. They need your support and you have the power to do it. Like, that sounds nicer. Um, and, and I mean, honestly, along the lines of diverse tactics, like there is a reason that it is easier for me to write a book that's really for everybody, not only for the most radical among us who, you know, maybe have some holes to fill in their knowledge, 
which we all do. We all can know more. We all can do better, right? Like, that's not a judgment. Um, but all the way up to, like, a total normie or Republicans or, you know, just any human being that can see the humanity in someone else that has the potential for that. Like, this book is for everyone, uh, no matter what, because I don't think safer space ideas should be radical. I think they should be more normal and in every space and household, right? Um, but it's easier for me to have that patience and to write for for folks that just have no idea and have never heard about these things before because I am able to be in a band where I get to yell about this stuff that I'm pissed <laughs> off about all the time, you know? Yeah. Like I, I have that outlet and it gives me, it allows me to have the patience to sit with someone who really just... I just don't, you know, I just don't understand. Like, well, if they don't want to be harassed, why are they wearing such short shorts? Like, I I don't want them to be harassed, but like, why are they wearing that? You know, and they can't get past these weird uh, bits of patriarchy that are stuck in their minds, you know? Um, like, I can sit with that person and have that conversation and get them to the other side because I'm allowed to write a song about it <laughs> later and yell at the top of my lungs, you know? <laughs> so I was saying like this, this kind of work that this kind of patience and uh, coming from a place, you know, a non-judgmental place, like it is not for everyone. And I don't expect everyone to do that. And it is not discounting folks that are, have more radical approaches. It's just that we also need this too, because you're right. We can't just have radical spaces doing this. That's not enough. We have to actually end violence. And the only way to do that is to reach as many people as possible and to make it the new norm that violence is not cool. You know? Yeah. yeah. So one of the things that in the very last chapter, which is kind of, at least in our society, radical, and it shouldn't be, it should be really obvious, but it, unfortunately it is, is the idea of like justice without vengeance that like justice doesn't mean like permanently excluding everyone who steps out of line or like just finding them in the parking lot or beating them up or something. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that because it's still something that I see people like on the left or feminists or uh, virtually everyone really, people you, you wouldn't expect basically. You, you'd expect mm. it of like you know, right-wing people because that's their ideology. But um <laughs> But, uh, you know, you, you see people saying, like, you know, sometimes jokingly, like, castrate all rapists or, you know, uh, kill all men. Well, that's a silly one because it's obviously ironic. But, um, yeah, there, there, there seems to be a lot of, like, vengeance and anger with people. And, um, like, the ideas of restorative justice, how would you, like, push back against the kind of impulse to take revenge on people rather than like get justice like real justice yeah well i think a lot of a lot of what you're talking about um is either a joke like you said or mm. kind of reclaiming um misandry you know ironic <laughs> misandry like i have a shirt that says dead men don't grope um <laughs> with kind of a drawing of of trump uh you know, which I wear and I love it and I wear it That's as much as I can. You know, yeah, <laughs> I haven't like, seen the show, but I already love it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, and it's, it's obviously very funny. Um, and I think that it's also, so other than that, like the irony aspect or the funny aspect, 
Um, it's also very easy to say what you would do in a situation that you've never been in. And I think people are really good at that. And it's fun to play around with like, oh, yeah, I would never let that person get the best of me or, oh, I would totally fight them and win. And, you know, and um, and it's and it's fine in a way to do that, because like you will likely never be in that situation and you don't have to worry about, OK, who would actually win in that fight. Um, but I'd say the actual response of people that are friendly with their friends, family of victims of especially sexual violence. Um, when they say, okay, we're going to go get this guy, right? That, that's, that's when, uh, that's when the dangerous stuff comes up. That that's when it's not productive or it, when it's not fun or funny or ironic, that's when we have a problem. Now I do not have a problem or even, um, an opinion on what the direct victim of violence should do, how they should respond. I would never judge someone for wanting to respond with violence after something terrible had happened to them. Um, I, I, I don't need to, I don't need to get in that conversation. I don't need to have an opinion on that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so that aside, so we're not talking about how victims are responding to these things. We're talking about how their friends or allies or family respond to it. We can take notes from the, the world of, um, intimate partner violence support. Um, and it is known that when you enact more violence against an attacker, someone you care about, um, there's a very good chance that that violence will ricochet and come right back on the victim. Uh, they will know, <laughs> they will know who these people are that came to beat them up or whatever, you know, they will know who's ostracizing them or excluding them. Um, it can. And so basically the entire book really takes a victim centered approach and people often ask like, you know, well, what does that mean exactly? And in this case, that means acknowledging that if this is something that in the end could potentially harm this victim, it is not worth doing. It is not worth doing. It doesn't, it doesn't change what happened to them. It doesn't make it better. So, and, and the fact that it could make it worse, it's not, it's not worth it. So I've had to advise friends here in Baltimore, things like that. I've had to tell them, I know you want to go beat this guy up, but it's not worth it. If, if, if your friend, this victim is going to get harmed in the end if it's going to come back on her. So that's really difficult for people to hear. Cause I think they feel that if revenge or violence, you know, that, that, that it's the end that somehow that's the conclusion, but I believe violence begets more violence. So how do we actually stop the cycle? Something has to change. It can't, it can't just be more hurt and harm. Something has to change. So that means that the person causing harm needs to change their behavior. And there are a lot of different ways to get someone to do that an overwhelming amount and of different ways. Um, and so in this book, in the last chapter, I tried to just narrow down a few options to get people thinking about some possibilities, what might work 
for a situation that they find themselves in. And just kind of acknowledging that our current criminal justice system is not one of justice, you know, Mm -hmm. and that it is punitive. And again, sure, people are diverse and that might work for some people. Maybe being punished, some people are like, okay, I'm never doing that crime again, whatever that is. Um, But it's not going to work for everybody. And frankly, it's not really doing victims any good, victims of sexual violence any good. So um, I talk about different models of transformative justice that acknowledge that people can change, they can do better. Um, There are things you can do to promote growth and healing. And I find that if you can promote that healing in a victim and also prevent future victims, I think that that is a worthwhile endeavor and you don't often get there by going and jumping someone, beating them up. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. That's a little long winded. My apologies. No, no, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a big subject. You know, yes, I didn't exactly I know. put and, the you know, most like, easy subject there are, Yeah, there are books just about that. And all I've done is, in, is included some information about it in my last chapter. So I, I will say, like, there, there's a lot of great resources out there to check out. Um, but I just know that when it seemed like the logical conclusion for this book, you know. So at first, it, it kind of follows people's natural inclinations. First okay, I care about harassment. Tell me all the things I should do. Okay, here are the things you do. Okay, now here's some parts where it gets a little hard and wait, why do I have to do this again? And, you know, like, what am I doing? And okay, well, let me explain it all. Here's some research. Here's some stories. Okay, cool, thanks. Um, Okay, but what happens if something like bad happens and it doesn't fall under the rest of this book? Okay, now Mm -hmm. we talk about transformative justice. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because we all know someone or someone that knows someone that, you know, has been abused or harmed and you want to stop, but you don't know how to help. And so there are ways in here you can help yourself, help others. And that includes the person that was causing harm, getting them to stop doing it. Yeah. Oh, cool. So um, just lastly then, so say someone, one of our listeners is, is out and they feel harassed by another person. What can, what can they do? What's their... What's their plan? Yeah, well, they have a lot of options. Um, So anyone that feels they're being harassed, first, I just want to say that pretending to ignore harassment is a valid response. It, I think women especially um, can feel like, like like it's a weak move or something. Like, oh, I should have spoken up for myself. I should have said something, should have done something. but no, it is, it's a valid response. Like you're keeping yourself safe and you are avoiding the stress, potential stress, um, of confronting someone or, or getting someone involved in the situation that doesn't believe you. Like that's of of course, of course you'd rather choose to pretend to ignore it. Um, so that's an okay response. Feel free. If you want to do something other than that, which I encourage everyone to try to, I, I always encourage people to stretch you know, what they're normally used to doing. Um, and usually that means finding a way to confront uncomfortable situations that still feels, you know, safe. Um, but, but if you've never confronted anyone that made you uncomfortable before, like it's worth doing, it's worth trying. You, you get better at it and uh, it can feel really empowering, right? So, um, so that's one option. 
to literally say, I don't like the way you're talking to me right now. I'm going to walk away <laughs> and then just walk away or that's harassment and leave it at that. Like it's not a debate, right? It's not a long conversation. Uh, say your piece, name it and bring it out to the light and then be done with them. Um, if you don't think that's going to work or if there's a pattern or they're aggressive or whatever, um, you can delegate. You can get someone else to help. So maybe that means you get your friend to physically step in between you. Maybe you get a security guard to keep an eye on the person or talk to them and distract them so you can get away. Um, that also means, you know, maybe you just make eyes at a stranger and, you know, I think women are trained to be really good at this. If we make the right eye contact with another woman, they know instantly, like, I know that she'll know instantly, like, I'm in a conversation I don't want to be in. And she'll come over and say, hey, Rebecca, how you doing? You know, and I'll be like, oh, hey, uh, what's up, Lauren? Anyways, let's go, you know, and and then we become friends. And that's how all women become friends, actually. I don't know if you know that. It's because of... <laughs> Getting out of harassment situations. No, that's a joke. I did not know that. Learn so new. This world is just awful. <laughs> the, the world I mean, is awful enough happened. that I would 100% believe that. So, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's happened a load not, of times, actually. Not every friendship, but it's, it's not, it's, it is a story I've heard before, believe it or not. Um, so, you know, there, uh, you, so you're delegating to someone else. You're, you, you can also, you know, if you witness harassment, even if you're not quite sure if it's harassment or maybe they know each other and they're playing around, you can safely use the distract method, which just means walking up to one of them and asking for the time or telling them you like their shirt or when's this band go on or, mm -hmm. you know, just get, get in between them again, physically in between them um, and start getting their attention and give that potential victim a chance to get away. So, yeah, I think the five D's of bystander intervention, which are definitely laid out in the book, um, but you can Google it, too. Like, they're really helpful, whether you're literally, you know, in a space, on the sidewalk, in public, um, they come in handy. And I encourage everyone to at least know that, if not, buy the book and learn everything else inside. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, on the other hand, encourage everyone to buy the book and learn everything inside. So <laughs> we, we have a different opinion on that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. that's lovely thank you right. no, I, I mean it it's um it, yeah no, it's, it, it, it's a, sorry, it's a really tremendous book like it really can't can't emphasize that enough like the the way that you wrote it is intensely approachable but also you do a good marriage of the practical advice with the theoretical grounding so because that, that's another thing that we run into sometimes in organizing space of different people have different um learning methods and if we aren't sensitive to that, we can approach with very real, very true information that just won't hit people because mm -hmm. we're not actually talking to the way that they learn things. Some people are more practical. Some are more intellectual or theoretical. And the more intellectually minded, it's not that they aren't emotionally feeling it. It's that they need this as the first step to get to the emotional core. Yes. Meanwhile, other people need the emotional core first then the practical. Some people need the practical and then you can tell them and here's why this resonates with people. Um, yeah. and, and your book strikes all across that. It, it's very clearly written by <laughs> someone who's done these kinds of workshops before and has also like clearly you've paid attention in them of like when was a more successful workshop or more successful yeah. moment versus others and carried that into like if I'm going to write a book I want to 
put those uh, the working moments in and not yeah. deliver only. Absolutely, because I can't I can't be everywhere at once. I, I wish I could yeah. do a workshop in every space all across America, but I can't physically financially <laughs> do that. So uh, that was actually kind of my vision with the book that instead of me going to every space because that doesn't make any sense. I'm not Doctor Hill. I could go. Uh, I could be in their space through this book, that this book would be in every space, that this would be behind the counter of every bar and bookstore, coffee shop, whatever. And, and also the idea that if every space had it, then when I go on tour or any other band goes on tour, they would know what to expect from every club and venue and house show, you know, like they would know, well, everyone at least is doing the things in this book. Like, I know that much. Like, I know these people have my back. I know that they'll respond in these ways because everyone has this book. This is the new minimum standard to meet as far as, you know, just acknowledging the world we live in, you know. Um, So I really I really do hope that it has a far reach and that people start to think of this, these theories, this not these theories, but these tactics um, as as important as. What do you do if there's a fire? And what do you do if someone has a heart attack? And what do you do if someone is ODing? You know, um, because this stuff's a million times more common. It happens like every bar, every night of every year is this stuff happening. But exactly. a fire probably will never happen. Hopefully, hopefully, yeah. Cross your fingers. You're right, but it's like, but we all know, <laughs> we all know to like. Um, push on someone's chest to to the song staying alive you know (laughs) if we think they're having a heart attack so um uh yeah i i just think that this um this should just be the new normal so thank you for letting me on and talk about it uh to spread the word I don't know. Horrible image in my head of a bar that does legitimately deal with being on fire more often than harassment (laughs) of its patrons. (laughs) Frantically, they're like, we spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on fire extinguishers every year. And you're like, holy shit, you should close your bar. Yeah. Like, Like, you know what? Don't buy the book. Save the money. Buy another fire extinguisher. It's like fine. I, I'd talk to you about the bars again on fire. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, maybe next week, Jim. All right. <laughs> oh, and we didn't get to the um, uh, the part about how to flirt without being a creep. So I'm oh. gonna. That that's very good. That should be in sex ed classes because honestly that. Like the stuff I've seen guys do, it's it's not even just that it's ineffective. It's like I've seen so many guys make women uncomfortable with stuff and had to tell my friends like, dude, you just like ruined that girl's night by what you said just then. Right. And uh yeah. So and I for all I know, maybe I've been that guy sometimes. I, I really hope I haven't. I've tried not to be, but who knows? Um so yeah, that was a, a really good chapter. So I'm gonna for the folks at home, you know, if you want to hear more about that chapter, you're actually going to just have to go buy the book. <laughs> That's right. Leave them wanting more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because our, our fan base is like thirsty dudes. So um, <laughs> they need this information. So, Well, and frankly, to be fair, um, I wrote that chapter and I tried to keep it as gender neutral as possible. Like it's not just men. Like everyone could use a little help talking to the people that they're interested in or attracted to. And 
and you know just a, just a, just again all we're doing all we're doing with any of this stuff is just acknowledging that people have different lives they have different struggles they deal with different harassment and discrimination and we you don't always know what that other person goes through and that's mm. fine you you don't you don't have to have firsthand knowledge like i can't have firsthand knowledge of what it's like to be a black man in america i just don't but i, I at least need to know that that he does struggle <laughs> mm-hmm. that the black man does have struggles and be sensitive to that. And there are a few, there are some basic things that I can be sure to avoid saying or doing or, um, uh, and it really just sort of extends to basic respect, uh, of other people and bodily autonomy, like letting people have their privacy and bodily autonomy as much as possible. Um, and that does not take the fun out of flirting. It just doesn't. And so, again, like I, I wanted to make this book very simple and easy to do. But the same with that chapter. I, mm. I wanted to be like, you don't know what to say. You're worried about someone accusing you of harassment. Post me too. Like, here's what you say. Say this. <laughs> yeah, the whole um, the takes about uh, how me too is going to ruin flirting were just incredibly painful yeah it just it just just says a lot about how we flirt yeah if you you know like and and hey i grew up on every terrible 80s movie too like Mm. i absolutely uh saw the way that that women were basically won as prizes at the end of every movie as long as the guy was relentless enough as long as he Mm. bothered her enough (laughs) he got her in the end you know and I, I was fed those same messages. We all were. So there's a lot to undo. And I, anyone my age, you know, I'd say like, it's not all our fault. Like this, this is what we were fed. So Definitely. like, the, so that's okay. But now, now that you've heard of me too, <laughs> now that you might care that you're making someone uncomfortable or ruining their entire night, um, here are some things that will undo that undo all the stuff you learned that, that work against it and, and recognize that you are not the first dude to talk to this woman tonight, you know, Mm. and you are not the first person to comment on her, whatever you're about to comment on. So let's get you a little bit more memorable to her, a little more original, (laughs) um, and, and respectful. And, and again, like that's, that doesn't mean it can't be fun. It just means you won't be that jerk that she, Mm complains to her other friends about later on <laughs> yep well said so so the book is out on ak press like we said one of the very very maybe even the best uh radical presses in the in the world right now <laughs> so kudos for uh getting signed to them um very there's also, yep there's also the little pocket uh, version if you, an ebook version a pocket version if you you know want something a bit more portable um but you know the the full book is like like what only like about 150 pages yeah it's not even that big yeah yeah but i I think i think the pocket guide really is just the the easy to keep you know by the register kind of thing or Mm, share with friends or stocking stuffers whatever (laughs) yes just throwing that out there Actually, you know prime what? people for Christmas season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should say, um, AK Press does this really great thing where if you buy even just five copies of my pocket guide, um, they consider that a bulk order. 
And so they give you a discount. And so I've had uh, a lot of a lot of folks, either whether they're in bands or they just table for other things and they, you know, set up a merch table and sell, um, they'll buy a bunch of copies and sell it themselves or they give it away, you know, give it to all their favorite bars. Um, so I think that's a good option for people, um, especially if you are someone like me that travels to a lot of different venues and spaces all over the States, um, being able to hand these out to the managers of these spaces um, I think it's been really cool um, and beneficial to see all the different ways we can get this information out. So if you want to make a little extra cash too, you can buy, buy enough to sell at your own merch table. Nice. Cool. Yeah. So yeah, it's been out since May. So no one has any excuse for not getting it now. <laughs> and um, yeah, folks do, do check it out or at least like educate yourself about this in whatever way you want. You know, if you're not a book guy, a, why are you listening to this podcast? That's weird. But B, you know, there's plenty of in- this information out there on the internet. So there's YouTube videos about it. Just, you know, like be, you know, do do a little work on this. So, uh, so Shauna, apart from the book, uh, War on Women is going on tour pretty soon, right? Yeah, we'll be on tour with Baroness in the South uh, starting August 4th. Nice. So, yeah, Baroness, big, big deal band, at least in the kind of greater rock scene. So we're going to play a song off their last album. And uh, Langdon, you're, you're a bigger fan than I am. So I, I figure you should get the, get the honors here of introducing <laughs> Baroness. Um, maybe pick their song if you want, but, or I could pick it. Whatever. But, uh, uh, well, yeah, I, I don't. I I didn't know that we were even playing them at the end, so I, I don't have a song in mind off the top of my head. But, um, yeah, just absolutely incredible band. I saw them open when they were touring for uh, for Red Album. Um, had literally picked up their album just based on the cover artwork. Uh, called someone and had them Google it and tell me what they were because I'd gotten stung before. Where this is a, in the mid 2000s, where if a record had really cool album art and was in a major store, it was a really shitty metalcore album every time. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'd gotten burned so many times. Like, oh, no. I was like, oh, this is going to be some sick, like, psychedelic extreme metal with some punk. Play. No, bad, bad <laughs> metal every time. And I was like, fuck. Um, so, so I saw the cover and I saw that it was like for fans of explosions in the sky, high on fire, or just uh, sleep. I just saw like this strange list of bands, all of whom I loved. And I was like, hmm. Yeah, I'm going to. Hmm. So I like called a random friend and was like, hey, weird question. Can you Google something for me? Um, bought it. Absolutely loved it. Went and saw them. They were opening for. The bill was Opeth headlining with High on Fire as main support and Baroness opening. Mm. Right? <laughs> and Baroness blew both of those bands out of the fucking water. Nice. Like, and it's those are two bands that not only are incredible groups, but also are phenomenal live. Like, um, the live experience of Opeth just is radically different. It's just this intensely charming experience. Um, and high on fire, just fucking whip sack. Um, and hearing that shit live makes you go crazy. But 
Yeah, like even from that very early period, Baroness has been just like intensely commanding um, rock band. And then, you know, went and bought, you know, the three EPs they put out beforehand or two EPs and one split technically and then followed them from there. Um, uh, They're almost certainly going to go down as one of like the canonical rock bands of the era, like alongside Mastodon as just like, truly tremendously great rock music absolutely Uh, yeah just it's it's phenomenal hearing how deeply they synthesize all these different influences from uh from noise rock to some really proggy stuff to like uh to math rock to sludge metal to there's a tiny bit of black metal every now and again on the new album, but it's like buried inside of these other moments. So it'll feel more like um, they were listening to a lot of like the Eagles and ZZ Top. And now here's a blast beat and just, <laughs> but <laughs> the moments like are continuously work, which is the, and their, their newest album, which does this phenomenal kaleidoscope of sounds is probably their most sonically broad record they've ever put out. Um, did you have a song in mind from their, from their new one? Uh, let's say seasons. That's on. That's the one with the blast beat. Um, <laughs> that is. So yeah, that's, uh, uh... saw them play that live when they were co-headlining the Baroness and just, yeah, the way that they're, uh, they're able to do all that stuff because they're tremendous songwriters. Like, um, uh, John is clearly like the the mastermind of the whole project. He's been the only consistent member now across all of its iterations, and it still always feels and sounds like Baroness. So he's he's clearly the center songwriter mind. But like the the bassist and the drummer they added on Purple are like fucking phenomenally talented and brought this huge other palette of sounds. Uh, Gina Gleason's one of the best guitarists on the planet. Like, um, we, we get the name check that she played for Cirque du Soleil, but without explaining what that is. Cirque du Soleil every year puts together a new, like, two to three hour long show. And you have to, you have to learn and execute that music, like, at, like a, like a phenomenal tier of both perfection and charisma because Cirque du Soleil shit is happening around you. Like you can't drop the ball (laughs) on the guitar. You will be killed. Like (laughs) those people can just flip just normally. They're just standing there. They, they did a flip front flip back flip. They will kill you. They have, they have like weird karate power. You will die. Um, they did a a lengthy, uh, Michael Jackson show and Michael Jackson's guitar parts are, not exactly easy, especially if they incorporate the solos from them, which which they did. And so it's like it's uh, the drummer for Spock's Beard also is the drummer for um, Cirque du Soleil. And he's um, like a widely beloved uh, contemporary prog drummer who's just is phenomenally talented. So like we say it that Gina Gleason's talented because she worked for Cirque du Soleil, but I don't think it really sinks in for people. That's a really hard fucking job. Um, and yeah, Seasons is just uh, an incredible song. I was also glad to hear that pretty much all the promo copies seem to have the same very muddy mix, um, which John Congleton, they're the producer for the last two, 
is somewhat to blame for that, but the released copies of Golden Grey um, sound uh, substantially more transparent, thankfully. So if you read that in a review and were alarmed or even heard some of the promo singles and thought it sounded a little bit muddy and brick-walled at times, the, the actual released version is much more dialed back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what we're going to play right now. So, yeah, off Golden Grey, one of this year's, probably going to be album of the year, maybe, could be. It's definitely going to be top five um, seasons. And, yeah, do check out uh, Shauna's band, War and Women. Go and see them live if you can, because... Yeah, I actually will be. be seeing them in Baltimore. Oh, Ooh. cool. Yeah. Nice. Okay, yeah, do it. So, um, yeah, you're very lucky for being in America where this stuff happens. Uh-huh. <laughs> We were just in Europe and UK. Oh, yeah, I, Missed I know, but, um, <laughs> yeah. you. You play Manchester, right? Because everyone plays Manchester. Sounds right. Yeah, okay. I miss you. I, I always <laughs> do that. But um, yeah, so yeah, do buy this book. Do check out War and Women. And here's Baroness. Where are the seas? 